Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. I was realizing that we never actually say the title of our podcast when we introduce ourselves. Oh, so. well, in case you didn't know what you were listening to. Exactly. You never know. If you just stumbled upon us, just like in case you don't know who we are, I am your host, Jordan Porter, and joined by the wonderful Yvonne Brandenburg. Hi, guys. And now, because you say, in case you don't know who we are, I'm just going to say it. We're both registered technicians with our VTS, which is vet tech specialty, in small animal internal medicine. Yeah. Because according to our numbers, people don't always <laughs> listen to our episodes in order. Yeah, no. They, they definitely do not listen in order. So uh, welcome if this is your first time listening to the podcast. And welcome back if you've listened to all of them so far, which... Thanks. There's quite a few of you that have, which is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I know. You Episode rock. 32. It's crazy. What? You and I How talk every possible? week for 32 weeks. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are, well, and we're talking to everybody else for every week for 32 weeks. This is true. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we have, um, we have a couple of things to talk about this week in our housekeeping, which is which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I like when we have stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, we had uh, in our Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast Facebook group, um, there was a, a really a good post by um, Tanya Bates, by the way, um, that she's looking for a good way <laughs> to store instruments for like endoscopy. Um, and I think she posted this maybe like a week, week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And I feel like none of us have a good answer. Well, I thought her <laughs> cabinet looked better than mine. So. I know. I, was like, I, was like, I went to take a picture of mine. And I was like, Ooh, it looks worse than Tanya's. So I think there's only maybe two pictures in there, but we're, you know, we figured we'd talk about it here just really quick. If you have a really nice way that you're organizing your endoscopic instruments um, that seems to be working. If you can post a picture to that, uh, that post that she did, that would be awesome. Um, Cause I feel like, yeah, it's, it's difficult sometimes to find the right thing and you know, it's never really great organization. No, but it's know. making me realize that I could probably better mine. Like I like how our scope hangs up and Right. Our yeah. graspers are like, okay. Some of them are too long for our cabinet. So they're still like on the bottom of our cabinet, but like the rest of the yeah. stuff, like our balloons and I don't know all the other stuff in there. Like, I'm like, I was looking at how some people have like the bins with the drawers and I was like, I could get those for my balloons and the, like the cleaning thing and my cleaner. And like, I could organize it that way. Yeah. Somebody else had talked about like a file folder kind of deal. And so everything was labeled and I was like, huh. So anyways, we're just looking for better ideas because both Jordan and I realized 
ours are a hot mess and why not get your guys's opinion on on what works well and see if we can come up with better ideas so anyways please (laughs) send us pictures on that post we would love it yes please i know i'm super excited for this so my dear friend laura roswell is of the veterinary internal medicine nursing based in the uk she is running for the bvna council so if you haven't listened to her or seen her, like she's got a Facebook page, but she also has a website, Veterinary Internal Medicine Nursing. Um, and we share, we share a lot of her posts because her posts are amazing. Yeah, she's, um, I love her posts. So we share. And good. then when she said that she was running, we were very excited. So now I'm not sure if in the U.S. we can vote for her. I don't think so because but, it's the British Veterinary N- Nursing Association. But we yeah. figured we've got some listeners in Britain, so. Yes, please vote for Laura Roswell because we support her. <laughs> but anyways, good luck, Laura. Yes, <laughs> the best of luck because you deserve it. You're wonderful. Heck yeah. And then one of our other friends is also running um, or was nominated for the best vet in Melbourne. So our veterinary friend, Dr. Robbie Anderton, from two vets talk pets was nominated for the best vet in melbourne so if you're in australia please vote for the best vet of in melbourne for dr robbie anderton he's wonderful he's funny i like talking to him he was he was with us in the the covid episode he was one of the doctors that that (laughs) that said that they would come on to a mostly technician <laughs> and wants to do the podcast episode again for yeah. some reason. <laughs> yeah. And they were, they're super fun. So definitely if you're in Melbourne, Australia, um, give some love to Dr. Robbie. Yes, <laughs> and then I have to say thank you very much to Jordan because Jordan posted, well, actually I guess technically her work posted this really cool cystoscopy video um, and we shared it on our page. Well, I shared it cause I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> um, and, and we've had a ton of interaction on that one, which is really cool. That is so a cool video. Who doesn't yeah. like seeing pee fill up the bladder? Like visually. <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you want to see that video, definitely head over to the, um, podcast group page cause we posted it there. And then if you guys, you know, have some fun, uh, you know, videos or case reports or case studies, you know, that you want to share, we would love it. Um, I shared about my cat who, who, see, it's, this is, this is kind of the teacher in me. I'm like, okay. As a pet owner, I'm dealing with a cat that had some kind of acute slash chronic GI stuff going on. Um, and so we finally said, you know what, let's get some answers. And we did, um, an upper GI scope. We didn't do a lower because she actually wasn't really having any lower GI signs, um, for the last little bit, but definitely upper. Um, so we, we did that this week and I posted, um, kind of what, you know, labs and pictures and stuff like that. And, um, thank you everyone for, sending well wishes to princess pumpkin doodle. Um, it is Sunday. So it's been two days (laughs) since she had her scope and, uh, I don't know what happened because she lost her little kitty cat mind at this point. She is, uh, (laughs) she is deciding to put her paws elbow deep into her water bowl I, she has never, ever done this before. She is 13. I don't know what happened, but she seems to think that putting her paws in the water bowl 
are the fun thing to do. I really hope this behavior ends soon because there's wet paw prints throughout my entire house at the moment. And um, I keep having to towel dry my cat. I don't get it. (laughs) But yeah, if you guys have cool stuff that you want to share, we'd love it. Just make sure, you know, if you have any pictures or anything that you get owner permission um, and, you know, try to make it like a case study. Why not? We're internal Why medicine not? nurses. We can do yeah. that. We do enjoy a good case study every yeah. now and then. <laughs> so, and then um, ACVIM, we know it was canceled this year, which is a bummer because I was looking forward to seeing everybody, including our friend, Laura. <gasps> yeah. Annie we Mom, were going to meet up with Laura. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I was going to see Jordan, whatever. It's fine. Yeah, um, we were definitely we going to meet up with a couple of people, including Laura. And then we were going to maybe talk her into coming on the podcast, which we should still totally do. Um, but yeah, the in-person conference was canceled, but they're doing the virtual (laughs) conference now. So every, well, not every lecture is available online because they kind of narrowed it down a little bit. Um, but a lot of the lectures are available online. So if you go to the acvam.org slash acvam forum, if you go to acvm.org, you can find the forum. Yeah, link just to. find the forum. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> That's probably um, easiest. It's $99 to register for technicians and $50 to register for students. I know. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a student, which we have some students that listen to this podcast, it's 50 bucks, which is kind of insane that- because these these courses or these lectures are really good. Um, yeah. There's, I, I know some of them the speakers personally and they're amazing yeah so. and they have the schedule posted already so you can look and see before you even like say you're going to register if it's something that there's a couple courses that you'd really like yeah and i think it's going to be available i don't know for how long but I, it's it's on demand so it's not like you have to carve out a specific time for it yeah right? yeah i don't yeah but yeah you're right i don't know how long it's gonna be available for yeah so, which is really cool. So definitely if you need some CE, um, it is an amazing opportunity to, to do that, especially if you can't travel. Like if you wished you could have gone to ACVIM for the lectures, not just for meeting with everyone. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely a really good opportunity to do the, the courses online or the lectures online, which is, which is good. Um, one of the other things that we talked about is, um, we're kind of switching up our question of the week, Facebook post. Um, we, we're going to try this and see how it works. We're going to include the question of the week in the episode post. So we'll post the episode every Tuesday and we'll include the question of the week in that one. So if you guys want to answer the question of the week, we're going to try that for a little bit, see if we get some good interaction on that. So uh, check out the episode post and answer the question of the week there. And we'll, we'll give you guys the question of the week this week at the end of the episode. Yes, definitely. And then we are always looking for more honest reviews. Um, Mm -hmm. I say honest because hopefully people like us and the review, (laughs) the review, the reviews we've gotten so far have been fabulous. Um, yeah, solicited those. Um, but we're hoping to just get more on kind of whatever platform you listen to. I, I'm sure there's a couple of reviews out there that we have yet to see because they're on a platform yeah. that I'm unaware of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that happened a couple of times to us. Yeah. We're like, oh, this is from two, three months ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you would like to post an honors review, just tell us where you posted it and we'll send you like a podcast button or a sticker or something. 
just to say thank you because we do appreciate it and we do appreciate the reviews. And you can, if you do post a review and you want to send it to us, send that to podcast at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. And then that way we can kind of see your review and then we can get you something in return for doing that for us. We appreciate it. So, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and the reason we're asking for this is, um, on a lot of the platforms, just, you know, just like anything else, right. The, like, let's say Apple, uh, podcasts, because that's kind of one of the bigger ones. Um, the more reviews that, a podcast has, the more likely they are to show it to people. Um, so it just helps kind of get people's eyes on it. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we sincerely appreciate the ones that we have, cause again, they were, are amazing. You guys, you guys are so sweet for them. Um, so we're hoping to get some more and even, you know, if they're not amazing ones, um, honest reviews, we, we appreciate the feedback too, but, um, hopefully you guys can do that and we'll, We'll send you something in return. So, but in order to do that, we need to get your information. So definitely email us. Um, and if you have a link, that would be great. Um, so we can, we can find that review and, um, then get you, get you something fun in the mail. <laughs> yes. All right. So I think that wraps up our housekeeping. So I think we'll move on to our episode for this week, which I am very excited for, because this is one of those diseases that I didn't understand super well mm -hmm. and then like once I started under I don't know there's something about not really understanding something and then like it finally clicking that I'm like now this is kind of one of my favorite things to talk about probably because <laughs> it makes me feel yeah. a little smart like it's just like, You're like oh, I understand what I'm talking about yeah, yeah I, mean, I love when that happens down. you're like yeah <laughs> your monocle yeah exactly <laughs> That's exactly oh how I look right now talking about this disease. <laughs> yes, she has her monocle and her top hat on. Yes, uh, I have a cigar waiting for me. Just <laughs> oh my god, yes. on the on the long like the long. I don't even know what they're called, but I I picture like a nineteen twenties like flapper or Cruella de Vil. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Just anyway. kidding. She doesn't look like that. <laughs> um. So this week we're going to be talking pulmonary hypertension so elevated pressure within the arteries of the lungs and then we're going to discuss the potential complications from pulmonary hypertension yeah and it's interesting because uh we don't see a ton of these cases nope. but when they come through you're like ah what do i do okay cool this is what i'm supposed to do with them so well and this is yeah we'll definitely get into it but this is one of those diseases that leads to other diseases so you're kind of like well, yeah. that probably came first and then it led to this and it's just like it's kind of one of those cool things to backtrack even though it kind of sucks because you're like man if we would have caught it sooner like <laughs> but, yeah and I think that's hard because you know working in specialty practice I don't know I, I feel like we get a lot of stuff that we wish we would have gotten sooner oh for sure and it's just because you know it wasn't I'm gonna say it wasn't caught early, but it, it's, it's one of those things in GP, you know, you, you don't see a ton of them, so you don't know what it is. And maybe it takes a while to work up because the client takes a while to get back to them. So it's, mm -hmm. it is kind of that weird double-edged sword because, you know, it's, it, I don't, I don't blame the primary vets for it no. because it's not their fault most of the times, but you know, we do wish that sometimes we could have gotten things earlier. So. Yeah, exactly. So definition of pulmonary hypertension is high blood pressure in the arteries leading in and out of your pet's lungs. Um, because as we know, 
we have, there's lots of blood flow. We've discussed blood flow through the lungs and the pulmonary system a lot of this series. Yeah. Um, but pulmonary hypertension usually, so that's like a complication resulting from another disease that the pet already has. So hmm. it's like a chain of events and pulmonary hypertension always ends up being like the middle event. Like there's something that led to pulmonary hypertension that leads to heart failure kind of thing. Um, so it's referred hmm. to as a secondary disease rather than a primary disease, which is another reason why, like when we do see these cases, it's because something led to it. And so a lot of the primary diseases that can lead to pulmonary hypertension, things like heartworm disease, um, PTE, which is your pulmonary thromboembolism, because as you can expect with heartworm disease and PTE, they both can block the arteries within the lungs, and then that can cause a buildup of pressure within the pulmonary system. Um, and diseases within the lungs, such as pulmonary like fibrosis or chrono, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, that can also cause like too much inflammation or fibrosis or that like scar tissue that can cause obstruction, again, leading towards increased pressure, blood pressure through your pulmonary vessels. Other diseases that can lead to pulmonary hypertension are diseases that tend to affect like the left side of the heart, such as degenerative mitral valve disease or dilated cardiomyopathy. But yeah, so like if you have blood returning to your heart from the lungs, it's going to return from the lungs to the left atrium. But if you have left-sided heart disease, such as uh, mitral valve disease or dilated cardiomyopathy at the left side, then the blood is going to have a more difficult time returning to the left side of the heart. So then you get that increased mm. pressure buildup in the lungs because it can't all get out and go where it needs to go. Yeah. I had to track that it's... through like my heart system. <laughs> I, was like... I know. Right. I just picture, I picture my, um, my drawing from mm -hmm. tech school where, you know, you're like, okay, <laughs> where are the vessels? Exactly. And then last but not least, of like so many other diseases, pulmonary hypertension can be idiopathic. So, so never figure out what causes it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So going back to anatomy and physiology, since we just ran through this in our brains, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, we'll kind of break it down a little bit more. So the mitral heart valve is the valve between your atrium and ventricle on the left side of the heart. If that becomes thick and defective, then when the valve begins to fail, pressure builds up in the left atrium and pulmonary veins, increasing pressure in the lungs and leading to pulmonary hypertension, like I just said. Well, and I feel like the mitral valve is like the, the big one that we think of, like yeah. we think of older. Yeah, I feel like, and it's mostly, I feel like it's mostly dogs, yes. right? So degenerative mitral valve disease kind of thing where they get older, it just stops. Cause it, because the, the pressure, cause the left side of the heart has, has the most pressure, right? That's why it's the bigger side of the heart mm -hmm. because it needs to have enough pressure to go into the aorta and to the body. So that's really where that pressure is. And, and all of that pressure, um, you know, it, it, the mitral valve is the, the thing that keeps the blood from going the opposite direction. So you know, with, with failure of that valve from all the pressure, then we get a little bit of leakage back up into it, yep. into the left ventricle. Yep. Um, so the mitral valve is kind of the, the big one. Yeah, exactly. And then if you have disease in the lungs that, um, 
can affect the ability for vessels to dilate properly, properly like we talked about. That can mm -hmm. increase resistance in your vessels too. So if your vessels aren't opening up like they need to, obviously you're going to have resistance. It's just like trying to blow like, you know, when you used to make spitballs and if you made one too big, <laughs> it wouldn't go through the straw. No, I did not do that. Thank you very Are much. You but me. No, I, I did not do spitballs, but I, I saw plenty of them. I remember like my dad taught my daughter how to do one and like we were at a restaurant and she hit some other person in the back. I felt really, really bad. Oh my God. I, Dude, I was the other person <laughs> at the restaurant. <laughs> I totally gave a death stare to a kid one time because of it. And he like kept staring at me and I stared at him through the rest of dinner <laughs> and his parents could figure out why he looked so like horrified. Oh goodness. Well, that's because you never, you've never enjoyed joys of like spitting a spitball. Like well, at your because brother. he kept like aiming at us. Okay. And I was like, I like did the death stare <laughs> because I was like, that was not an accident. Well, that's we a dick move. We only times. do it to our family. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, we're in a restaurant. What is wrong with you? Anyways. Sorry. But yes, spitballs. <laughs> Increase resistance. So you got to make them just right. So it can flow through easily is what I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> And we kind of, I mean, we did talk about resistance in the bronchitis and asthma episode. Yep. Um, and we'll talk about it as well. I'm sure in the next episode, which is uh, collapsing trachea, because I feel like we have a ton of like Yorkies and palms that have collapsing trachea, Yeah. but they also have um, pulmonary hypertension yep. and, and heart disease because yeah, exactly. that live to be really old. Um, so yeah, it is that increased pressures yeah and that increased pressure can cause fluid to back up into the right side of the pet's heart forcing the right side of the heart to pump harder and push try to push blood to the lungs and that eventually can lead to failure of the right side so right-sided heart failure um so it's a vicious cycle like once you have like especially if the inflammation just keeps progressing in our patients and stuff like that and like yeah. i said that's where like heartworm disease too like if you have anything that clogs up those vessels you're gonna have a higher risk of developing pulmonary hypertension yeah i mean i i, I like i haven't disease. seen it with heartworm disease just because it's very rare for us to have heartworm disease here in california we we see them occasionally but it's usually dogs that travel from other places mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah, see, I've seen it. Anything from, obstructive is bad. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it from heartworm disease. I've seen it from collapsing trachea. Mm. Um, yeah, I've seen bronchitis. I, I've seen a couple of bronchitis pets that have had it. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, so this can present almost kind of how you would expect it to present, considering we're talking lung diseases. Um, <laughs> It's much more common in dogs versus cats, which we kind of already said. I've literally never seen it in a cat, which is crazy because I, I think feline asthma would lead yeah, to it. I ha I don't. I don't specifically know of a cat that has had pulmonary hypertension. Yeah, and small breed dogs are more susceptible, which I 100% agree with. I don't think I've yeah. ever seen a large breed dog with pulmonary hypertension. It's always been the Yorkies or the Shih Tzus. I've seen some, but yeah, it's definitely small breed <laughs> yeah so these patients could present lethargic um coughing obviously exercise intolerance weakness collapse with which um we've uh, also talked about sinosis if it's obviously super severe 
because again, mm-hmm. if they have a lot of that inflammation in there and they have that hypertension, like they're not oxygenating as well. Mm-hmm. Um, hemoptysis. It sounds like an octopus in my brain. Um, and that's like, if there's a pulmonary thromboembolism present and that is coughing up blood. Yeah. And I mean, if you're coughing up blood, it makes sense. If you've got a pulmonary thromboembolism, I mean, that makes sense because that's all sorts of bad, um, where you have a clot in your lungs. Um, I've definitely seen, unfortunately, those patients coughing up blood, um, and not doing well. So some of the different ways it can present or things that we'll notice is crackles, wheezes, um, harsh breathing sounds that can be heard from the chest. And, um, we talked about this, I think in the first respiratory episode where we talked about what these things are. So definitely listen to that. Um, and then these sounds that we're listening to that we're auscultating, um, when we're listening to the chest that those are, you know, indicative of some underlying lung disease. Um, so, you know, again, hopefully everybody's doing physical exams with their doctors as well, just so mm-hmm. you become familiar what normals and abnormals sound like. Cause again, the more you listen to it, the more you start being able to catch things. Yeah, exactly. So kind of like we said before, our differential diagnosis list is going to be things like heart room disease, heart disease, PTE. We're also going to throw like collapsing trachea on there and stuff like that too, just because they can cough and show exercise intolerance and stuff too. Very true. <laughs> yeah. And then leading into our diagnostics, to me, this seems standard for most like, well, it seems standard for most like lung issues or any coughing or lung sounding issues when coming into the clinic. It's radiographs. We discuss the importance of three view, right, left, and VD um, mm-hmm. x-rays, but so thoracic radiographs, so for pulmonary hypertension, are not specific, but they can demonstrate finding supportive of it. Mind you, I wish I was good at seeing this because I've had x-rays where my doctor was like, yeah, I think, I think that that could be what we're like battling right now. Or I'll read like a radiology report and I'm like, what? Um, but depending- yeah, I, I wonder, huh. Yeah. And depending on the underlying cause of the hypertension, like- you can see things like cardiomegaly, right-sided heart enlargement, or um, the pulmonary artery dilation can be evident. And then in cases of our congestive heart failure or like neoplasia or pneumonia, um, you can see those infiltrates in the pulmonary region too. And, but the one thing that stuck out for me for pulmonary hy- hypertension, but they say this for heart disease, but pulmonary arteries may be torturous in patients with heart disease. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think when my doctor looks at the RADs, I hear her commenting on, um, the vessels, like just being able to see the vessels Mm -hmm. more. Um, because I mean, yes, you can see blood vessels on chest x-rays, but they tend to be more prominent Mm -hmm. with these ones because, which makes sense because again, there, there's going to be more blood present because of, you know, the dilation or, you know, just not being able to leave the arteries and the, um, the veins. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's like a backup in the system. Like think of a, think of a garden hose, right? Yeah. Like 
when you've got more in it and there's more tension, there's just more substance to it. So yeah. that's kind of, I think of it as a garden hose. I know that's <laughs> garden hoses make sense for me with, with when we're talking about vessels. Yeah. <laughs> so now our go-to when we suspect pulmonary hypertension, though, is an echocardiogram. Yeah. We'll refer out to a cardiologist for an echo. Um, so echocardiograms can measure blood flow moving across like the tricuspid valve, which is between your right atrium and right ventricle. And then measure the pulmonary valve, which is between the right ventricle and the pulmonary artery. And then, yeah, and this is really cool. If you ever get a chance to like um, see them, mm -hmm. it's really cool because they usually, um, if you've done ultrasounds, just abdominal ultrasounds or other ultrasounds, if you've ever seen the color flow, yeah, um, that's that's actually part of what they're looking at with an echo because the color flow tells you the frequency. So how fast, mm -hmm. um, the blood is flowing. And so you can actually see it, which is really cool. So you like see the jet of the blood going across the, the valves, which is really neat. Um, and that gives you kind of the, the tension, right? Mm -hmm. So the blood flow that's moving across them, but it's, it's cool when you get to see it because you're like, Oh yeah, that's what you're <laughs> referring to. <laughs> that and too, like if you. I don't know if you've, I know I've seen heartworm disease on echoes, um, which is really cool. Cause you can mm. see like the heartworms, like pulling in the heart. And usually I see them like between mm. the valves, like they look like little railroad tracks, like, um, but oh, you can also wow. visualize blood clots too. And that since those yeah. two things can be a cause for our pulmonary hypertension, it's a good rule out to do an echo and see if you can visualize a blood clot, um, or heartworm disease. Yeah. Well, um, we'll have to see if we can find some cool videos yeah, that um, sweet. for this. I know we have some, um, cardiology VTS friends, mm -hmm. so we can maybe reach out to them and see if they can send us a video. And I'll, I'll ask my cardiologist too, if he has any videos that he'd be willing to share, because it is, it is interesting to see. I, I don't think we're going to, in my practice, we're probably not going to have one with heartworms because again, yeah. we very rarely see it here. Um, but I've definitely, I've seen blood clots, um, on echoes and cardio is like my second love. I, I, if I, I was telling my another VTS, That's what I'd I probably said. get this. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, VTS and cardiology. That's what we talked about. Like I told my boss, I was like, if we ever actually like, we're looking to hire a cardiologist because mm. the closest cardiologist to us is two hours away. Ugh, um, so he wants to hire a cardiologist. I was like, dude, if we do, then I could work with them and then I could get my BTS in cardiology, even though like, I don't know near enough about cardiology right now, but that would oh, probably be the yeah. next one that I would try to go for if I had the option to. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause I just talked to, um, I was kind of half joking with my cardiologist because I help them out quite a bit. Um, and I was like, you know, if you ever need a technician, just let me know. I'd love to get my VTS in it. And I know Christy is probably like jumping up and down if she's listening to me. <laughs> she's like, more cardiology tests? Right? <laughs> I do. Like, there's um, just something so fascinatingly yeah. scary about <laughs> cardiology. Well, and, and I'm, this is really random and off topic. Sorry. But, um, I've also helped with like their procedures, like PDAs yeah. and, um, placing pacemakers and it's just so fascinating to me like running anesthesia for them and see that makes me a little like, like anxious thinking about but like 
I feel, it makes me anxious in a good way. Yeah. Because I think, I, think it's I love those, my cardiologist. He's awesome. Well, I think it's one of those things though, too. Like I like being good at things. If I was good at cardiology, yeah. I would feel so good. <laughs> like, yeah. I love, I love like hearing murmurs. And, yeah. Me too. Yeah. My boss and I agreed on a murmur the other day. Cause like we don't normally oh. like talk about it or if he says that he heard one and I didn't hear one, then I go back and listen. Um, yeah. but the other day, like I was just seeing what he would say and he was like two out of six. And I was like, yes, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's still not yeah, one of my strong like, suits. Like I was gonna say, and catching arrhythmias yes. and like, I've actually caught a couple where I was like, ah, cardiologist, let's get them stat kind of thing. Um, cause again, on certain days of the week, he's in the building. So if I need him, yeah, he can, he can help. So although he is booked three months out and I believe it really sad i want him to not be so busy but it's good for him but it's crazy speaking of cardiology so another diagnostic mm-hmm. procedure for diagnosing pulmonary hypertension is right-sided like heart catheterization and this is considered Ooh. like the gold standard in human medicine so i don't know if i've ever i put this in because it was mostly about human medicine but it looks to be like they're i think the problem with veterinary medicine is trying to get clients to like go on board with this like sometimes is a little bit much um because when yeah, i was gonna say i could see this maybe like in a university yeah setting. exactly I, I don't see this in first of all definitely not in gp um no specialty oh god i can't i don't know i don't think my doctor would no so because this. so they it's invasive and so therefore mm-hmm. like it's not commonly done in veterinary medicine because it involves placing like a long wire inside the jugular vein extending it down until it enters the right atrium of the heart, the right ventricle, and then the pulmonary artery. Like, scary. Like, you're going through half the heart, basically. Heart's not a big fan of being touched with things. (laughs) No. (laughs) So I could see why that's not commonly done. If anybody, if anybody's listening and has done this and has, like, a video of it being done, like, send it to me. I would love to see that. Like, if, I imagine yeah. it's probably done like under like fluoro, right? Like, well, see, this is the thing that, that I'm thinking is in veterinary medicine. I mean, these patients have to be one either heavily sedated or anesthetized. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a patient who's already got cardiac disease. Like I, I don't, I don't know. Like it just, it, we're going to have to ask our cardiology peeps about this because I, I can't imagine that the benefits outweigh the risks. Right. That's what, yeah. I can't imagine, especially since we do have color flow, that the benefit of doing a direct measure would outweigh the risks of of placing it. You know, I I think that's probably, it's a risk benefit or benefit risk analysis thing that most veterinary cardiologists are probably like, no. Whereas like with a person- you could probably tell them to hold still, yeah. like oh, don't still. move. <laughs> like I'm going to put a catheter in, but I, yeah. I imagine though still, it's like one of those things where in veterinary medicine, like, especially because clients aren't expecting to spend millions of dollars, like trying to diagnose right? something. It's like, if it, if, you if can everything else, echo. yeah. Like if everything else is screaming pulmonary hypertension, you have one of the underlying diseases and then things have just progressed. And then like, a lot of people mm-hmm. just treat and see if it gets better versus mm-hmm. moving towards these invasive diagnostics. So yeah, it'd be interesting right. though to hear if anybody's ever done one and like 
what exactly the benefit why, of it would be. Yeah, I was gonna say why they chose to do it and, and how much of a benefit it really was. Yeah. So once diagnosed though, treatment is geared towards treating the underlying disease, which I feel like that's such a common saying in like internal medicine. <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> Treat the underlying disease of X disease <laughs> and they'll feel better. Yeah, I, I agree. That is, that may be one of our internal medicine slogans. Treat underlying disease. Ding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, if our patients are in distress, then we're going to recommend oxygen therapy. Mm. Um, we talked about this in a lot of the other episodes about our respiratory patients, like, and I'm sure we'll talk about it next week when our collapsing trachea <laughs> patients come in, <laughs> in For distress, <sure>. Yep. <laughs> which, and then medications are recommended that would cause dilation of the pulmonary vessel. So medication to really open up those vessels to decrease mm -hmm. the resistance within the pulmonary vessels, therefore decreasing the pressure. Um, medications like this. <laughs> I remember the first time I had to fill this and I was like, what the what? Which then mm -hmm. I was like, makes total sense that it's blood pressure medication. <laughs> um, so common medications <clears throat> for treating this are drugs like sildenafil, also known as brand name Viagra or Viagra, the little <laughs> blue pill guys. Yeah. Or to, to Dalafil, which uh, we use sildenafil more than we use tadalafil, which is Cialis. Yeah, I was to say, I, I don't know if I've ever scripted out tadalafil. We've definitely done sildenafil. Definitely. And it seems like um, sildenafil works. So I imagine that we'd probably switch yeah. to something like Cialis if sildenafil didn't work, but it usually does. So, And I was going to say, it, it honestly, I know that the sildenafil was first um, and then Cialis. Yeah. Sildenafil, um, and so that's probably a big part of it because probably. I know Sildenafil became generic first, and so it's probably a cost thing. Um, and everybody's familiar with using Sildenafil, mm -hmm. so that's probably why. And it, it, it's funny because um, I remember the first time I had to prescribe, or not, I prescribed it, but uh, my doctor prescribed it, and I had to talk to the client about it because yeah. I gave them the. I think at the time it was a written prescription. I don't even think we had it in the hospital. And I was like, so we're prescribing sildenafil, which is also known as Viagra. And the guy was just like, what? <laughs> Cause it was a little Pomeranian. And he's like, why am I giving Viagra to my Pomeranian? And we were like, it's well, way it's better than when the different <laughs> it's way better than when the client's like, Oh, I have that at home already. And I'm like, I don't want to know. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I don't yeah. Just let me finish people here. <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah, and then they ask you the inappropriate questions because of how it's used with human right? medicine. I know. And you're like, yeah, like, no, that shouldn't happen. But let us know if it does. Fun fact, though. Did you see my fun fact here? So, sildenafil mm. can cause vasodilation in the vessels of the ears. So, in dogs, <laughs> actually, tend. This tends to actually cause their ears to stand up more than usual. Their ears, though. Only their ears. So ear erections. Is what yeah. you're saying. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I don't know if I've ever uh, had a client, like, call and, like, and talk about priapism or something like that. Well, you know. yeah. Like, I just. Mm. No. Anyway, I, I found that interesting. But we'll talk about the ears. Yes. Ears and, and sildenafil. Yeah, you might. I can't. 
See that they have the, cu- the cute little perky ears. Oh my god. Um, You'd be like, that's those sildenafil ears. Brown right. chicken, brown cow. Are you happy to see me or do you just have sildenafil in your ears? Oh my god. Uh, and our podcast just got super inappropriate. <laughs> we lost like half of our listeners. Yeah, right. We're all vet techs. No, we probably just like, gained yeah. a bunch of listeners. They're like, ah, oh, they're talking about sildenafil. Yeah. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then so our patients with pulmonary hypertension often require like other supportive therapy um, or additional therapies based on like the underlying cause. So those things include, like we already talked about, um, oxygen supplementation, treatment of pulmonary disease with like anti-inflammatories or bronchodilating agents, um, treatment with neoplasia or like chemotherapy agents, um, treatment for congestive heart failure with diuretics, patients with um, PTEs might benefit from anticoagulant medications and steroids. Patient with heartworm disease obviously <laughs> would benefit from adulticide therapy. <laughs> so, depending. Heartworm adulticide therapy, not just adulticide. Good job. <laughs> heartworm. <laughs> <laughs> adulticide. <laughs> um, yeah, it's again our I am slogan treat the underlying disease. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think most of the times, I don't think I've ever seen a patient just get like sildenafil or one of those. They're usually on some cocktail of <clears throat> um, like yeah, theophylline and sildenafil or, you know, um, pemobendin. And, and so it's, it's usually they're on a variety of medications to deal with kind of all the stuff that's going on, just depending again, what they're what their primary disease is. Cause again, we're saying hypertension, pulmonary hypertension is secondary. So our client communication, I think for this, I just put in like what we typically put in for internal medicine notes is that it, sometimes these things require frequent rechecks, long-term yeah. medication, like all IM cases, um, rechecking radiographs and echoes can definitely be pricey. So I do like mm-hmm. to give people that warning. A lot of people don't do that. And they just like kind of fall off the face of the planet or they just manage the pet based on symptoms which is obviously not ideal yeah but i get it i can't spend you know money on x-rays or an echo every month just to ensure that everything's going the right way and that we're not leading towards heart failure um so i just yeah and i think it's i think for us it's we're in that kind of weird transition in veterinary medicine where <clears throat> more more of our patients have insurance. Yeah. So, you know, we do, we do want to talk to them about gold standard treatments, but also be very cognizant of, you know, if they can't afford it for whatever reason, you know, maybe they don't want to, maybe they don't have the money, whatever, whatever reason they don't want to go with gold standard, we need to make sure that we give them the options because again, it's, you know, ideally it's quality of life and having our patients feel well versus Mm -hmm. so that's definitely part of that client communication too so definitely and just because especially because this disease can progress too that i think it's important clients know that it can progress especially if we're skipping doses or stopping the medication due to pricing or something that it can progress to something more serious yeah and i think um something else to talk to clients about is um 
I mean, God, this really should be any of these chronic diseases is having some sort of a journal where they yep. just monitor like how frequent are they coughing? Um, what's their energy level like? <clears throat> so, you know, just whether that's in a little notebook that they have, or if they want to use like the treatment journal, you know, mm-hmm. because they've got five, six, 10 different medications. I, I think just making sure that that helps take out some of the subjectivity too, yeah. um, where they go, Oh, maybe the last two months, but then they look at their journal and they're like, Oh God, it's been going on for four months gradually. Or, yeah. you know, Oh, I noticed a big change three weeks ago. So, um, you know, that can help with, with, for, for us to, um, you know, managing these cases, cases. Yeah, exactly. And then our caution, because I don't think I mentioned it enough, but just really reminding clients that if that high blood pressure persists for too long or becomes severe, it can definitely mm-hmm. cause disease and failure of the right side of the heart. So they can go into right-sided heart failure, which is more not fun. It's a lot worse than just dealing with whatever your primary disease was, especially if you have left-hearted, left-sided heart disease, and then you get right-sided heart disease. Like it's just, yeah, it's no bueno. No. Um, yeah. So I definitely think it's important to just kind of really remember that this disease kind of sucks and it can progress if it's not managed um, properly by clients or us yeah. even. Like if we're not communicating enough how important it is to stay on these meds. So yeah, it's the tip of the week. So my tip of the week this week is because while I was trying to talk about it, <laughs> I needed to like <laughs> visualize um, the circulatory system in my brain. So brush up on the circulatory system and try just to identify the areas of circulation that have potential to contribute to pulmonary hypertension. Because we discussed a lot about how left-sided heart disease can cause pulmonary hypertension that can lead to right-sided. So it's really, it makes a lot more sense when you can visualize the circulation through the heart to see why it would lead to possible pulmonary hypertension. Yeah. And when I was, um, when I was teaching cardiacs, you know, the, the circulatory system when I was teaching that in school, um, I had some resources and I'll see if I can find it. I think it was like the children's heart Institute had some really good, um, visuals and stuff like that. So I'll see if I can find that so we can put it in the show notes and, um, share it in the podcast group, because I I remember thinking that really helped me understand it and visualize it. Um, and there was also, you know, the, the, um, the coloring diagram (laughs) where you colored what's oxygenated, what's not oxygenated. Um, and then like, you know, whether it's a vein or an artery. So just, you know, that, that helps when we're talking to clients is understanding circulation and kind of reminding yourself of left-sided versus right-sided atrium versus ventricle and what the different, um, valves are too. So um, that's definitely a good tip for being a well-rounded technician. Exactly. <laughs> and now for the question of the week. So my question of the week this week is just what did you find most surprising about learning about pulmonary hypertension? Have you seen a case of pulmonary hypertension that you learned about a while back and you learned something interesting about it? Was it something? Or have you never heard of pulmonary hypertension before? Right. <laughs> so the whole thing there was maybe people that are like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe the whole thing was interesting. Um, definitely please leave a comment when we post it on Facebook. We are happy to hear if people 
are learning stuff from us. <laughs> hopefully we're helping you. <laughs> I mean, that's the yeah. point of this. So hopefully we're helping. Um, cause we definitely love to hear from everybody about, you know, diseases that they see and, and how they manage it. Cause everybody manages things differently. So learning mm -hmm. cool new tricks is definitely helpful. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've learned things from Jordan. I've learned stuff from members in our community. So it's, it's, it's great. And it's, it's important for us to remember. We don't know everything. <laughs> what? Well, I know, right? We have BTSs. We must know everything. No, definitely not. Hmm. I'm just really good at finding information. Yeah. I'm good at reading a book. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think we have some resources that we'll put in the show notes as well as like post in the, the Facebook group. Um, there's a classification chart, which I thought was really cool from veterinary partner for pulmonary hypertension that just mm -hmm. kind of it gives you like a gradation of, um, how severe the pulmonary hypertension is. Uh, and then we also had some other, um, resources, including like DVM 360 and, um, some, I think veterinary partner, uh, as well as like a university. So we'll, we'll definitely post that in the links yes. as well. Definitely. All right. Cool. Well, I think that wraps up this episode. Thank you all yeah. so much for listening. Please leave mm -hmm. us a review. We are happy to read those, um, in here. And make sure to send it to us yes. so that we can uh, get you some goodies. Yes, definitely. All right. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.